This morning, our scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And you can follow along with me either on the screen behind me or in the Bibles around your chairs. It's found on page 1014. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This has been the reading of God's word. Well, this is our third week in our new series on 1 Peter, which we're calling the Upside Down Kingdom. And last week we were in verses 3 through 5, and we were looking at the, the subject of hope. And what we, what we saw is that Christian hope uh, is hope that is stronger and more powerful than any other source of hope. Uh, Christian hope is unique in that it, in the strength of its hope and the power of its hope to push us through. And, and, and what we're really talking about this week is we're talking about uh, the need for that hope. Uh, Paul is writing to the churches in Asia Minor, so a collection of uh, cities, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, uh, the churches in each of those cities, and he's writing to them because they are suffering, they're hurting, they're in need of hope. Churches are hurting, they're suffering. Uh, we don't know exactly what is going on, but we know that, uh, at least for some reason, they're, being, they're suffering for their faith. Uh, but there's other reasons they could be suffering, and he's, he's heard about it. He's in Rome, and he's writing to them, and he's uh, writing to them, telling them, this is how you can live through. This is how you can cope with. This is how you can walk through and keep on going in the middle of pain and suffering, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about pain and suffering. Is that exciting? Yeah, man. That's, we get to talk about pain and suffering this morning. Uh, welcome to Doxa. Um, but, but really... Um, I think it's appropriate that we should talk about it because isn't pain and suffering like a reality in life? Uh, like, let, let's just be honest. Like, we want to be real here in Doc. So we, sometimes we talk about the difference between right answers and real answers. If you've been around church long enough, you know the right answer, right? How you doing? Good. The Lord's just blessing me, man. The Lord's just, his countenance. You would never use the word countenance ever before. Uh, but you walk in church and his countenance is smiling upon me this week. Uh, but the real answer might be what, something very different than the right answer, right? Uh, the real answer, like, if you really want to know what the real answer is about you, ask your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your best friend, and they'll, they'll, they'll more likely tell us what's the real answer with you. Life is difficult and life is hard, isn't it? I once heard a preacher, and this is uh, some really good news. I once heard a preacher say, you are either in pain, you're coming out of pain, or you're going into pain. You can close your Bible and you can leave now. In life, here's the truth. You are either in pain and suffering right now, you're coming out of pain, a season of pain and suffering, 
or you're heading into a season of pain and suffering ahead of you. But that just is a, a truth of life, and there's no way to escape it. Life can be wonderful and great, especially when the Patriots lose and Clemson wins. Life can be awesome, but there's also times when it is not. There's times when it is really, really hard. And, and Christianity, here's the, the interesting thing, is that Christianity does not offer, it does not promise a life devoid of pain and suffering. No matter what you may have heard some preacher say or not say, Christianity does not promise a life devoid of pain and suffering. But here, and I think it's more powerful, here's what Christianity does promise. Christianity promises that you have a hope and you have a faith and that you have an access to a power that will carry you through pain and suffering so that you come out on the other side as an overcomer. Or you, or you actually suffer through in the midst of tears, pain and suffering and you are able to walk through it as an overcomer, even while tears are still streaming down your face. And, and I can't think of anything more practical than this that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 this morning, and we're going to see three things. We're going to see the reality of pain and suffering. We're going to see the reason for pain and suffering. Yes, this is alliteration. And we're going to see the reward for pain and suffering. That's for my Baptist friend, Dale. He likes that. The reality of pain and suffering, the reason for pain and suffering, and the reward for pain and suffering. First up, the reality of pain and suffering. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Look at this, verse 6 of chapter 1, 1 Peter. In this, we're going to come back to that in a little while. In this, you rejoice, okay? Hey, I like that so far. Though, and that's a big though. I actually have a box around it in my Bible. Though, now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The first truth that this shows us, he says, you have been grieved. The first truth that this tells us is that we all go through pain and suffering. He's writing to a collection of churches throughout Asia Minor who, who have different people from all different types of backgrounds who are part of these churches, and he's writing them, and he's saying, here's a truth I know about you. You have been grieved by various trials. You have been grieved. The first truth is that we all go through pain and suffering. And, and this is good news for you and me because sometimes doesn't it feel like, like I'm alone in my pain and suffering? Like nobody knows, can, can relate to what's going on with me. You don't know what my life is like right now. You don't know what relationship, the relationship is like between my husband and I, my wife and I, my kids and I. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know why, what I am suffering from. If I told you, I would be, I would be, I can't even bring myself to tell the people at church or in my community group because it's so embarrassing. The things my wife and I are fighting about 
over and over and over again. The, the thing that, the truth that I'm actually wondering is would it actually be better to cut off the pain and suffering of this marriage and get out of it, even though I know that's not the right thing to do, but I'm just wondering, would it be better for me to cut off that pain and get out of it because I can't stand it anymore? If I were to tell the people in my community group that, maybe they would not look at me in the same way as they did before. Maybe if you knew what someone did to me when I was a child and how that has affected me through the years, like you, people would, people would keep their children away from me and they wouldn't want to be around me anymore. They would and look me in the eyes if they knew the pain and suffering that I am going through. And here's the truth for every one of us in this room and every person who is alive on this planet, every single one of us is marred and broken by this sinful, broken world that we live in. It's not the way it was meant to be. It's not the way it was created to be. God created the earth and it was good. He created mankind in his image and we were made in his image and ever broken and we've continually broken the people around us. Maybe your parents did mess you up. Maybe somebody has done something to you that has distressed you and has caused your life to be filled with greater pain and suffering than it feels like the people around us. And, and I'm not minimizing that. Some of you have been had have had horrendous things done to you, or maybe you've done horrendous things that you're dealing with the fallout from. We are all, though, marred by sin. We are all broken. And the result of that is that we all go through life, a life full of pain and suffering. That wording there that's next, like you have all, you have been grieved. It's, uh, it, I'm not a Greek scholar. I've done a lot of study into this word this week. It, it's hard for me, my understanding, to pull out what exactly this word means. It, it, in your translations, the ESV, it might say grief. Uh, if you have the NIV, it might say suffer grief. Uh, uh, if you have the, if you're a King James guy, it says heaviness. Like there's this, this, this it's all kind of in that word. It's this feeling. The the picture, the word picture that it has there is of a stormy sea. You have all been grieved, or the wording there is pain, or suffered distress. You have suffered, you've been afflicted, you've had sorrow, you've had heaviness, you've had heartache. Your life is on or has been on a stormy sea. You, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, you've been filled with sorrow and distress and suffering and affliction and heaviness and heartache. You've been grieved. Isn't life like that sometimes? Like things happen and it just fills you with grief and sorrow and heaviness. I remember uh, I was about 18, 19 years old, and um, I was going through a time of, of real kind of sorrow, and it was probably was a, a light case of depression, and I don't, I don't know why, I don't even remember what was going on at the time, but I remember just feeling just like, just like a dark cloud was over my head, and, and I was filled with sorrow and distress, and if you know my family, my extended family, you know that like they love to go to Disney World, like it, just any excuse to be able to get down there, it's like, hey, you know, it's Tuesday, let's go to Disney World, and, and they were planning this trip, and, and they were trying to get me to go, and, and I was like, man, I don't want to go, I, you know, and finally, they're like, come on, come on, come on, and finally, I just like, look, 
I am in no mood to go to the happiest place on earth right now. Like, I'm just, I, I just feel like Eeyore, and I just don't want to be there right now. I'm full of distress and sorrow. Sometimes it is just life is while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, by various trials. Uh, here's the truth. Uh, every single one of us in this room are tempted to not want to share what is going on in the grief and sorrow that we are in or we are coming out of, that, we are, that, we are, that is pushed upon us, that the heaviness that is on us and around us, because sometimes we think it's either too big or too heavy for the people around me to get. Like, hey, you know, like you're going around the room and you're taking prayer requests and then somebody has like, uh, like a big one and like it changes the, the, the feeling of the room and you don't want to be that person saying, hey, here's what I'm really dealing with. And some of you feel like, hey, I don't want to share the stress and sorrow, the heaviness that I'm in, because it feels too light. It feels like people around me aren't going to get, why is, it, why is it such a big deal for me? But the truth is that we are all experience pain, we all experience suffering, we've all been grieved, and the grief comes from various trials, it's different kinds. It doesn't matter whether yours is more, seems more serious or seems not as serious as the people around you, it is your grief. It is your sorrow. It comes in different types and it comes at different times and it has different effects on us. We've been grieved by various trials. That, that, that wording there, trial, is this picture of, of, a, of a test or a temptation. It's a, it's a difficult time. You have, all, you have been grieved by various trials. Different types, different effects, but it has an effect of putting us in pain and distress and suffering and affliction and sorrow and heaviness and heartache. We're in the middle of a stormy sea. The truth is we are all well acquainted with sorrow. We're all well acquainted with pain and suffering. I remember several times as I think back through my life, there was this uh, one time um, when uh, Meg and I, we were about three years married. We just purchased our first house, and we'd had the, we'd been in the house for just a couple of months, and she lost her job. And, and what that led to a, like a three-month period of time where like, there was like A and B did not equal C. There was no way that what I was bringing in was going to be able to get us through the end of each month. We had a new mortgage, utilities, like the whole deal, and you just add it up, and like, there's no way we're going to make it through this to the end. There were days I remember uh, going to work, and this is back when we used a thing called Cash Kids, and I remember going to work and literally not having a dollar in my pocket in order to get lunch or drink. Like I, I, I couldn't get a drink out of the vending machine on break because I did not have enough money for that, and I did not know how we were going to make it. It was a time of, of pain and suffering and sorrow for us. There was a time about three or four years before we planted the church where uh, I'd always dreamed of being in ministry, but it seemed like just every time I tried to go down that path, like the door would close in front of me, and I thought, man, that 
maybe the God just doesn't have that for me anymore. And if that's not what God has for me, then I don't know who I am anymore. And it began to put me in a series, a, a season of depression and darkness. And Megan and I were good, and we had just had Sophia, and every, the business was going well, and everything on the exterior looked great, but inside it felt like there was just deep darkness around me because I didn't know who I was anymore. Uh, there was a season actually very recent for Megan and I um, you know, they, they tell you whenever you get ready to plant a church that planting a church is not going to be easy and you're going to experience uh, spiritual warfare. And, and we thought like, yeah, okay, that, that's cool. We'll deal with that when it comes to it. But man, it, it hit us pretty hard. There was a couple of summers ago, a few summers ago, uh, we had our, we've had several miscarriages. In fact, I remember our first miscarriage. I remember a few days after it, I remember sitting at my desk and just like this wave of grief just coming over me and just crying right there at the desk, out of, kind of out of nowhere. It's just this kind of wave of grief passed over me. But then fast forward a few miscarriages ahead, and uh, it was in the summer, and we had a miscarriage, and, and it was a very sad time for Megan and I because we knew, like, it's probably the last time, like, we're going to give this a shot. And, and it was dark for both of us, but really began a real, a real, Season of darkness for Megan. She was grieving this loss and grieving this transition in, in our life. Um, but something happened. Like we never down. Began a season for her of of, of really. Well, we didn't even know what was going on. It was like we we're struggling back and forth. We we're arguing all the time. Uh, we felt like we were against each other. We felt like there was this great gulf between us. And the more time went forward, it's like that gulf just deepened and it widened between us. And it. Things got darker and darker, and it can be embarrassing, to be honest, to be a leader in the church and to, like, in the middle of, like, to get up to preach, and we were just arguing just a, literally a few minutes ago. Or last night, we went to bed angry, and now she's sitting in the audience, and I'm looking at her and looking at you guys as I'm preaching. We're trying to figure this thing out together. There were times this whole season where we weren't sure, like, do we... Are we going to be able to make it? There were times where probably each of us thought, like, do we even want to make it to the other end? Yeah. Times where we thought, like, is this going to, like, just, like, are we going to have to, like, quit the church? Are we going to have to step back, step back from our role? Like, it was a season of, of incredible thick darkness around us and between us. We would open on, but, man, it was just, it was dark and hard. Have you guys ever been through something like that? Personally or in a relationship? Maybe like your finances just break down or your career doesn't work out or a miscarriage or a problem, a sickness in you or a loved one, a loss. We're all well acquainted with sorrow and pain and suffering. But in the middle of that, all that hard darkness and sorrow, here's some really cool news. It doesn't make it not sorrowful or not dark or not hard, but we have a Lord who is well acquainted with grief. It says he was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. This is one of the things that sets Christianity apart. Can you imagine praying to a, 
the God of another religion with this feeling that he knows what it's like in this middle of my darkness and my distress and this suffering that I'm going through, that he knows what it's like. Mostly we're praying to a God in other religions that's demanding some sort of response from us or some like ethereal union of our consciousness together. But Isaiah 53, 3 says of Jesus, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And particularly that's talking about him heading to the cross. There are lots of times in Jesus' life and ministry where he was alone, where things were hard. But there's nothing like when we see him in Matthew 26 Whenever he looked in the Garden of Gethsemane and he looked at his friends, not just his disciples, but his friends beside him, and he said, my soul is sorrowful even to death, or my soul is consumed with sorrow even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Where he cried so hard, even our Lord in all of his strength and power, yet he begged his father, if possible, would you remove this cup from me? In Hebrews 4, it says we don't have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize or understand with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's a reality of pain and suffering, and it's something that we all experience But part of the good news to believers is that if you call Jesus Christ your Lord, your Lord, your God is well acquainted with sorrow and pain. And the person sitting to your right or left may not understand your various kind of suffering. They may not understand your various kind of trial. It may seem too deep for them to understand or too light for them to take seriously. But your God, your Lord, does. We're talking in community group this week, and I think it's one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible that it says that when Jesus, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, died, it tells us that Jesus died in order to raise what he was going to do. And yet when he shows up and he sees Lazarus's friends and family crying and weeping over their loss, it's, what does it say he does? He wept. Your Lord and your Savior knows that he's going to carry you through to the end if you're a believer. And yet, he weeps with you in and through your particular suffering and your particular pain. We all have the reality of pain and suffering, but there is a, there's good news in this passage. There's a reason for pain and suffering. Look at what it says. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary. Now, this is confusing, and it can be hard uh, truth to comprehend. This is something that we probably have to pray about and talk about with each other through community group and how it actually works in each of our circumstances. But here is a broad great truth to underline each of us in the pain and suffering that we are in, coming out of, or going into, that there is a purpose to your pain. 
there's a purpose to your suffering, if necessary, if necessary. Your heavenly Father does not allow any amount of pain and suffering to you, his child, that he does not purpose. Now, that can get confusing because did, did God a purpose in like the way that he made creation for Megan and I to go through miscarriages? Did for me purpose that I would make it in such a way that would cause her to feel alienated from me and vice versa? No. But yet somehow, yet he does purpose to work in that and through that with us for a, necess- a necessary purpose that he is designing. I don't understand how that all, all that works. No one in this room understands how all that works. It's hard for us to interpret But here's the truth for you as a believer, and it should be good truth to you, that nothing comes to you except inside the hand and the knowledge and the direction of your Father, God. If necessary, so that, look at that in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Here's the purpose that the Father has in your suffering and in your pain if you're a believer. The purpose isn't just to inflict pain. He is not a Father who is up in heaven governing your life and dealing with you like some puppet, like, hey, see what happens if I throw in this pain and suffering. Let's just watch what happens. Like he's watching your life some, like some Netflix show. Like let's see what happens whenever we throw this into the mix. The purpose, look at this wording. This is the tested genuineness of your faith. The wording there and including in the, in the, the phrase that comes behind that is this idea of a way a jeweler would test or refine or prove gold or precious metal. He would heat the gold or the silver, the precious metal, to a point because you can't destroy it with a, with a simple flame. He's going to heat that gold or that silver to a point that he can work with it, but also in the middle and take away the dross or the trash or the filth that is inside or mixed in with that precious metal, the purpose, the tested genuineness of your faith, the purpose of him providing pain and suffering is to prove and to show and to refine your faith. It's to prove your faith. It's to prove it. It's to show that it is real and true because this is the truth. Christian faith has to be faith that is strong enough to carry us through pain and suffering. It's not worth much if it all falls apart like a house of cards the first time a cold wind blows or a storm cracks. It only is true and real if it withstands the test of time, if it withstands the flame, if it withstands the wind. That's when we know that it is real and true faith. That's how you know that your faith is real, and that's how people around you know that your faith is real. Not because your life is always smooth and easy, but because when the wind blows, it may shake the house, it may blow the sand around, but the the foundation remains solid and sure and true. It is powerful enough to carry you through. That is the proof of of genuine faith. 
It shows the genuineness of your faith. When your faith stands the test of pain and suffering, and then it refines your faith. It is easy to believe God and to believe the best about him and to be walking easily with him when times are easy and you just get what you want, right? Like, man, when, when every time I pray, I get exactly what I ask for and the way that I ask for and my wife is treating me the way I want her to treat me and my kids are treating me the way they want to treat, I want them to treat me and the economy is treating me the way I want to be treated and you guys are treating me the way I want to be treated and man, it is, man, thank you, Lord, it is easy to walk them, but it is, but it shows me the impurities of my own heart whenever it's tested by fire. You know what I mean? I mean, when Megan doesn't respond to me the way that I think she should, and whenever I actually see the way I respond back to her in ways that are sinful and unhealthy, all of a sudden, whoa, I see something there that needs to be refined. I see this my own sin. I see the state of my own heart, but I don't see it when things are easy. I do see it when the fire is on and the, and the dross rises to the surface. And has that been true for your life? We don't grow as much in the easy times as we do the hard times. We don't see it in the fire. All you feel is the fire and you want to get out of there. And that's natural. But whenever you get on the other side, you say, oh, God, that's what you did. And how many of you would say, man, I wouldn't take anything for the journey that he's brought me through. But I wouldn't want to go through it again. I don't know how much money you would have to offer Megan and I to go back through the year and a half, two years that we just, by God's grace, have come out of this fall. I don't know how much money you'd have to offer me. Those are some dark, long times. There were some tearful conversations with Dale and Keetra, and some of you guys are in community group with us. But man, I look back and I see what the Lord was doing in my heart. She can look back and see what he was doing in her heart. I can see what he was doing in our marriage. I can see how he was refining me as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a leader. And there's no other way he could have shown me my own mess without actually forcing it to the surface so I couldn't help but see it whenever I was in the middle of the fire. The tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. So what he's saying is, he's saying gold, which was at the time that this was written, was the most precious uh, material known to man. And he's saying gold will eventually perish, but your faith is more valuable than that. And here's the truth if you're a believer. This is something to, to think about for the pain that you're in the pain that you're coming out of, the pain that you're going into, your faith is more valuable than your comfort. Hear that. Your faith is more valuable than your comfort. Your faith is more valuable than your health. Your faith is more valuable than your dreams. God is less concerned with your temporary comfort, your temporary health, or your temporary dreams than he is than proving, showing, and refining your faith to his glory to be real at the last day. This is a faith that can last and carry you through the hard times, though it is tested or proven or discerned or approved by fire. What if your pain has a purpose? 
And what if that purpose is much bigger than your pain? What if that purpose is much bigger than you? The goal of your testing, the goal of your proving is to show yourself the dross in your own faith, is to show others the power of your faith to push through, is to show the forces of darkness the power of God as you walk through pain and suffering, and is to show God his glory back to him as, he, he's, as we showcase his power to carry us through even the most difficult things in life. Isn't that awesome? It's not, it doesn't feel awesome at the time, but it is awesome that it, you may be found, look at this, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith by its very nature must be victorious, otherwise it's not real. And you know what that good news is? That if you are a believer in Christ and your faith is in him, then as the pain and suffering comes, the fire gets turned up in the furnace of pain and suffering, you will be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not your strength or your power that's showcased in that. It is your ability to, what, what is faith? It's resting in God and his power and his strength and his word. And that comes from God himself. So it will be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a believer, there's a reason for your pain and suffering. He's working those things in you. But if you're here today and you're not a believer and you're experiencing pain and suffering, what is the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to showcase for you the weakness of the things that you're hoping in rather than Christ. The weakness of things that you're placing your faith and trust in other than Christ. Your talent, your intelligence, your ability is only going to carry you so far. It cannot carry you through the end. It is only faith and trust in Jesus Christ that can carry you through the end. And today, you can put your faith and trust in him. We see the reality of pain and suffering, the reason for pain and suffering. And lastly, we see the reward for pain and suffering. And this is where it gets good, guys. Uh, Look at this, uh, back in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, now for a little while. Now, little in comparison to what? If you were to come to Megan and I in the middle of that season that we were in and say, hey, how you doing? This is only for a little while. We think, man, this is the longest little while I've ever been in. It is not ending and I don't see any way we're going to get through the other side. I don't know what the finish line looks like. I don't know if the rest of our life is just going to be like this. But he says, for a little while. And this is good news for us because, number one, it shows us that God is in control. He's sovereign over his children. And he is so faithful so that the sufferings that we go through, he's going to give us help and a respite in it. There's going to be seasons where you come out of pain and suffering and you're able to enjoy a mountaintop of breath and release with the Lord. There might be pain and suffering coming again later on, but you're going to experience that. He's going to design in such a way that right when you feel like, I, I can't take it any longer, he gives you a breath of fresh air. 
And so there's a little while in that way, but you know what he's really talking about it being a little while here? He's saying in the light of eternity, the suffering and pain that we experience is only for a little while. Uh, Landon, Megan was out of town the last couple of days and went and had this cough, and so it fell to me to give our son medicine. And uh, if you've never been in my house, when you give Landon medicine, he looks at you like all of a sudden like you're going to poison him. He wants to look at the label. He wants to know, what is this? What, what, is, what is the flavor? What's going on here? Why are you? I'm like, I'm your father. What, is, do you think this is going to be poison? Like, I'm, I'm not giving you to this because I just, like, for kicks, like, you need this so you'll stop coughing. You, we need to get to the other side of this. I'm trying to help you. But he, for him, and he even understood, when I can even get him to understand that concept, the pain of tasting that medicine seems like too great a thing to go through to get to the other side. I'm like, but it only lasts for a moment. Let's just get this over with, let's swallow it, and let's, you know, I'll let you drink something good, and then let's move on, right? That's what our, for a little while, pain and suffering is like. It is a light, momentary affliction in both time your temporary and my temporary suffering is a thimble of grief. It doesn't mean that it's light grief. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's a thimble of grief floating in waves of love and bliss and mercy and grace. When we get to the other side and we look back, it will only be a light momentary affliction, no matter how deep and heavy it may feel right now. In this, he, the beginning of this says, he's, in this you rejoice. So how can we, in, in closing this out, uh, God, I, I see that we all experience pain and suffering. I, I see a little bit, Randy, what you're saying. I want to know more about it, but the, what the reason, what God is doing. But how can, this is saying, in this you rejoice. And then at the end, uh, of down in verse uh, 9, it says, though, it says, now you, now, though now you do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Randy, how can I rejoice in this pain and suffering? Even if I know that it's a light, momentary, afflict, heavy, how can I rejoice in the middle of that pain and suffering? Well, he, when he says in this, he's pointing back to the section before this. And without re-preaching those sermons, you know what he says back in verse uh, verses 1 through 5, he says that you are the elect or you are chosen, you are foreknown by God. He says he has caused you to be born again. You are chosen by God. You have been born again if you are a son or a daughter of God. It says that you have a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says that you have an inheritance that is imperishable or permanent undefiled, unfading, in heaven for you. And then it says that you, are, that you yourself are being guarded through faith by the power of God. So how, in the middle of suffering and pain, can I rejoice even knowing that it's gonna be better on the other side one day? You can rejoice if you are, have filled your mind and heart with the knowledge that you are chosen in him that you are his, that you have been born again, and that you have an inheritance that cannot be stolen or destroyed or will ever fade. 
And in the middle of that, I can, in the midst of grief, rejoice. That's the beauty of Christian grief and pain and suffering and Christian joy, is that the Christian doesn't go through periods of pain and suffering and then seasons of joy. The, the believer goes through seasons of pain and suffering in the midst of joy and seasons of joy. I rejoice through and in my tears because I know that through Christ and his power, I will obtain, look at this, obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you're a believer, that's your ending. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And that is worth everything. And that's what empowers a wounded believer to sing. There's this, scene, there's this scene, we'll close off with an axe, where Paul and Barnabas have been arrested wrongly. They've been beaten. They've been thrown into a dungeon. They have no assurance they're ever going to get out of that dungeon. It's not a criminal justice system like we have. They have no assurance that they're ever going to have freedom again, if there are going to be more beatings but yet somehow in the middle of the pain in that dungeon, the other prisoners began to hear singing in the dark. It's the same thing that's kept Christians singing throughout the centuries as they faced the stake, as they faced the fire, as they faced freezing, as they faced loss. It's what kept the Christian slaves singing while the whip was cracking on their back and they were working in the hot southern sun. It's the faith and the hope that can carry you through to the end. 